You're listening to Steve Dace On Demand. Lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Wednesday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show here on The Blaze Live on demand at CRTV. I am Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. Let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. You can like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. And based on yesterday's events, we might be on Twitter a little bit longer than maybe I was thinking about 24 hours ago. For those of you that are tuning in on the podcast today on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, at all, last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. And every now and then we open up the phone lines around here. 888-900-3393 is the number. That's 888-900-3393. Our weekly profit of woe and lamentation Daniel Horowitz will be joining us a little bit later on. We're going to play Buy, Sell, or Hold. Today's Truth Bomb points out some self-refuting logic. All that and more coming your way. But first, we need to get caught up, courtesy of Aaron, on what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by Reinstated. Twitter has reinstated Jesse Kelly's Twitter account after a few days of getting owned by the former Marine on cable news. The company told the Daily Wire, quote, the account was temporarily suspended for violating the Twitter rules and has been reinstated. This flies in the face of what Twitter originally said when they said that his account would not be coming back. Brenda Snipes, in charge of voting in Broward County, Florida, was just spotted wearing a beautiful dress with 300 I Voted signs on it. Just kidding. She is a fine, very honorable, and highly respected voting tactician. That was tweeted right before the president retweeted a fan account from Mike Pence and after the president threatened to pull funding for General Motors on Twitter after their announced layoffs. Cindy Hyde-Smith won her runoff in Mississippi, making her officially now the Sousa Mercollins of the South. Cindy Hyde-Smith is a racist, a white nationalist, a white supremacist, and it is a shame that white Mississippians would exonerate her in advance and excuse her for the intimidating uh, hatred that she expresses, and God forbid that she would therefore be elected to go to the Senate of the United States to do more damage to Mississippians and America in general. Elise, do we understand white Mississippians? Because so many would not characterize themselves as that. They would say they're simply trying to live their best lives. This National Cake Day and every other day, to be honest, we're pro-choice, pro-cake. Let's check in on Think Progress, shall we? This is their justice editor. Bleep bipartisanship, Republicans are bad. They have bad morals and bad ideas. The goal should be to eliminate them utterly as a political movement and allow a center-right party to move into the vacuum, which has basic skills like arithmetic and not being racist. Donald Trump is destroying my marriage. And that's what happened while we were away in two minutes or less. So we're going to have a lot to say about the Jesse Kelly story uh, because, I mean, Twitter just wasn't honest yesterday. I mean, they, they suspended him for no reason and told him it was permanent and there was no one to appeal to. And they put that in writing. And now they're coming out and claiming it was a temporary ban for repeated violations, which they never specified in their permanent ban. That just turned kidding. out to be temporary. Yeah, just kidding. Yes. Joke. Yeah. This was a punking. And, and we don't win a lot of these on our side. Okay, we, we just don't. And I, I think, therefore, 
a longer conversation needs to be had about how this one was won and why. And so we're going to do that today on the roundtable on CRTV. If you're not yet a CRTV subscriber, we have good news for you. Use promo code DACE Christmas, all one word, promo code DACE Christmas at CRTV. You'll get $20 off a year of CRTV with an annual subscription to our show and every show. The great one, Mark Levin, Stephen Crowder, every program we do at CRTV comes down to like $1.50 a week is what it'll cost you, $1.50 a week. And you'll get all of our CRTV roundtables that we do each day as well. And we're going to talk about today the lessons to learn uh, from what from what happened. How did Jesse Kelly win this? Because this is a resounding win. And they, this is a clear back down. How and why? We're going to break that down uh, a little bit later on. The um, uh, here, Here's what I want to lead off with. The General Motors thing. The right reaction when when the story came out that Trump had threatened General Motors subsidies. The the typical reaction you'll get in today's tribalistic environment is because Trump suggested it, Democrats will say it is wrong. Yep. And most of conservative media will say they have it coming. Here, what, here's what, if we, if we clear our minds, okay, uh, and the rest will follow. Free your mind and the rest will follow. If we free our mind, remember that song? I do. Yeah. If you free your mind from the tribalism, the right reaction is, what the bleep is GM getting subsidies for? That's the right reaction. All in favor? Aye. This, aren't they like the biggest corporation in the world? They were for the longest time. They were the, I don't know if they still are. Maybe they aren't anymore. But I mean, in our, back in the day, they were the largest corporation on planet Earth. It might be Microsoft or Amazon or, or Google or somebody like that now. But I, I mean, I'm old enough to remember when they were the largest corporation in, in the world on the third rock from the sun. Why are they getting any subsidies? There aren't any good answers to that question. Here's the thing with me on this story. So I grew up in a union household, not a teacher union household or an AFSCME union household, because that's where the real communists are. Okay. Uh, I, I grew up in a, in a, my dad was my, my stepdad who raised me was a ready mix driver. He was a construction guy. And so I grew up in a teamsters household and he was actively involved in his union. And then uh, at a college, uh, I needed to, I, I tried to get into the university of Michigan uh, but even though my grade point was high, my ACT score overall was good, but my math portion of the score was very bad, and so they wouldn't let me in. And so I needed to go to junior college for a year, and I went there ostensibly to, to raise my math score enough to eventually get into the University of Michigan. Along the way, a bunch of my friends went to Michigan State, and I saw that the girls there were, were better looking, and I just ended up going there instead. But the year that I worked at junior, the year that I was at junior college, I worked at UPS for a year, company you know well, Todd. And and their Teamster union guy Teamsters there were they still there when you worked there as well? Was oh yeah, Teamster shop. Okay, so I I belong to the Teamster union there. All right, I do think there has that unions have played a, a, a not always ideal, but uh, and they have been uh, platforms for corruption and mob activity in the in, in the past. But they also at a, at a necessary time provided a necessary buffer. Because we created something in the States that a lot, that Marx never foresaw. 
I mean, Mar- Marx foresaw that there would be essentially a, a mass division of classes because Marx was a committed Darwinist, and he agreed that sooner or later the the strong would prey on the on the, what they perceived to be the weak. That we would live out Darwin's descent of man, essentially. And and there's a reason why in the United States we didn't really flirt. We had red scares, but we never really overtly flirted with communism and socialism until now. Uh, but the, we didn't do it. Uh, you know, when the debate was really raging in the West because we foresaw or came up with something Marx did not foresee, collective bargaining. The idea that the worker one-on-one against the machine couldn't stand up, but the worker corporately, corporately as, a, as a unit could stand up for their rights against the machine, right? So they have had, albeit at times, a corruptible and imperfect place but also a i think a valuable one now we're into an era now of specialization and politicization that i would argue they've largely outlived their usefulness and have mostly now become tools of the democratic party they're they're constituency groups now they're not primarily interested in interesting if, if they can if they can represent the interest and there i'm sure there's like local electrical worker unions and stuff that that just like with public schools i'm sure there are local public schools that do a great job corporately the institution of government education is 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 owned by cultural marxism and that's it's just not it's not debatable it it it's as is as gravity it's as it, it's as is as inertia it's it's it is the state of things you will find exceptions and i i'm sure there's there's a lot of outstanding individual school districts but corporately the system is owned by leftists and i'm sure there are some really good still looking out for the little guy electrical worker unions out there and the like but you know my second stepdad my mom's second husband uh you know his union abandoned him basically uh, and didn't stand up for his rights because they needed they they thought they needed to, to, to have more of a position of prominence in the Democratic Party. And so when corporations started bringing illegal aliens here to pay them $7 an hour to do the job that he was getting $25 minimum to do as a master carpenter, his union basically said nothing because they're Democratic operatives now. You see where I'm getting at with this? Mm-hmm. So they've, so there was a time and a place that even when they were platforms for corruption, they were literally the only vehicle that the little guy had to go up against the machine. Now they're the machine now. The unions are the machine now, corporately. You'll find individual ones that do a fine job, I'm sure, but corporately, they are the machine. And that's why when you go to states that have right to work, they always have lower unemployment and higher economic growth now, and often even better wages than the union, the forced union states do. How, here's, here, here's why that's relevant to this conversation. When I took over, when I made the transition from sports to news talk 10 years ago, the Democrats had just taken for the first time, like in the history of Iowa, had taken total control over state government right when I was coming in. And we have some of the teacher union communists and stuff like that in Iowa, but we have a lot of the local little guy, you know, like the guy that the, the, the union drywaller that might be your son's youth football coach at a state, you know, as kind of old school as Iowa, we still have a lot of those kinds of union guys. And they were down at the state house demanding Democrats offer them what's called prevailing wage. Now, for those of you that don't know what that policy is, it essentially says that whether it's a union or a non-union contract, the same wages have to be paid by the state to the workers so that non-union sh- contractors and shops cannot come in here and just greatly underbid the union shops. And you know what? Man, I irritated a lot of the big GOP donor class people 
uh, that were huge supporters of the radio station I worked for and that I was a vocal proponent of that. I absolutely agreed with it. Here's why. Because I, I believe in a system where the union, the, the little guy doesn't get to dictate what his salary is. And, and the machine doesn't get to pilfer from the taxpayer when they could just pay their own damn way because they got more than enough money. That's the system that I would prefer we live in. Do we live in that system? Do we live in that system? No. No, we don't. We don't live in that system. And so the argument that I made was not that I believed forced wages through the prevailing wage was a good policy. I don't believe it's a good policy, but I believe it's a fair one. Because if we're going to tell all you million billionaire investor or, or developers in Iowa that you get to raid the public trough and, and, then, and then when it's your semis destroying the roads, you then get to raise the gas tax on every single damn mom in the state who's barely making by to pay for your costs. You get to pass them on to everybody else. Hell to thy no. 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 Nope. I don't believe in corporatism. I don't believe in elitism. God is not a respecter of persons. So my argument was, if we're going to let all these major corporations raid our state's treasury and trough to get whatever the hell they want whenever they want it, then it's only fair to let the little guy have his cut and his take of the action as well. Apply the scam evenly. The Bible is condemning of unequal weights and measures. And this was absolutely one. Oh, I would, I would, I'd, I'd be all in favor of a system where I told them all to go take a long walk off a short cliff, pay your own damn way. If you don't like the wages in Iowa, move to a state then where there are higher wages. As the great prophet Sam Kinison said, move where the food is. Why just sit there and starve? You know, we moved a lot when I was a kid. Why did we move from Iowa? We moved to California, moved to Florida, moved to Texas. We moved all the time when I was a kid. I went to 11 different elementary schools. Were my parents nomadic herders? No. You know why we moved? My dad worked construction. And so we moved where the economy was strongest and where the wages were the highest. That's where we moved. Just because you want to live in Iowa doesn't mean you're entitled to a higher wage. Competition says you may not get it. So go where the wages are higher. But we don't have competition. What we have are vested interests. And when we have our, when the Republicans take over, they, they, they grease the palm of this group over here. And when the Democrats come, take over, they grease the palm of this group over here. Well, I'm not empowered to change the system. I'm not empowered to make the system obey the law. And so if the system is going to say, this is the system now, because we're not a nation of laws and we never have been. We're a nation of political will and we always will be, Okay. It's never been a nation of laws and it never will be. It's always been a nation of political will and it always will be. Why? Because it's self-government. And therefore, whatever we have the will to do will happen because it begins with self-government begins with what, guys? Self. Self. So whatever we have, the self-wills is what the, or enough of the selves will is what will happen, period. Regardless of what the law says, they'll just change the law or ignore it. It's called federal courts. All right, so that was my argument. And the point of me making this argument in defense of prevailing wage for union workers uh, on a conservative radio station was not to argue for the prevailing wage, but was to hang the corporatist shills I hate and loathe with the heat of a thousand suns by their short hairs, by their own argument, hoist them from their own petards. And they knew it. And they knew it. See, they'd been fine with me if I was making the socialist argument. Because then they could have called me out for it. But the fact I was using their own arguments, their own lies, to advocate 
they pay out more out of their own pocket for the wages of the employees since their pockets are getting lined before they ever spend a dollar of overhead. That argument they didn't like. Which is why when I saw yesterday that Trump was threatening General Motors, my initial reaction with subsidies, my initial reaction was, uh, why the bleep does GM have subsidies? That was my initial reaction. I mean, why, why is the largest corporation maybe on planet Earth need any subsidies? Do you know? There aren't any good reasons why. Okay. My second reaction was, gig them. Gig them, Aggies. Sick them. I don't care. I mean, go after them. And then when I saw their stock price plummeted as a result of the threat, I'm like, yeah. Hey, you want, you're going to live by your own standard. That's the standard you want? So be it. Live by the sword, die by the sword. You want, you want, you, you cannot have, this is the argument we've been having about Twitter. Is Twitter a First Amendment platform that, that just provides an exchange of ideas and therefore isn't, isn't, isn't necessarily um, uh, liable for what is presented, which gives them free reign as an open, as an open source? Or do they want to have editorial uh, command over what is published, which means, okay, if you want the latter, well, now you're a newspaper. Now you're a radio show. Now you're the blaze. Now you're CRTV. And if I come on here and start libeling and slandering people within the word, in the written word or on over broadcast, those platforms that let me do it are liable, but choose one. You can't have it both ways. You can be either one you want. I believe in self-determination. You can be either one you want, but you cannot have both. Choose which one, Jack at Twitter, choose which one you want. I would say the same thing to General Motors. Do you want to be corporatists or do you want to be a corporation? If you want to be a corporation, then you shouldn't have taken the subsidies to begin with. But since you took the subsidies, you're not a corporation. You're corporatists, which means essentially you're an agent symbiotic relationship to government. And government is a fickle beast. Government changes and the moods swing and you woke up on the wrong side of the bed this morning gm sucks to be you donald trump is a hundred and nine thousand percent whatever number's higher than that right on the money to do what he did yesterday to threaten them they're take they're taking our subsidies from the taxpayer and then they're eliminating thousands of jobs Hell to the no. In fact, let me tell you, if I was president, we'd skip right past the subsidies. I, that's treason. That's what I think. I'd be calling, I'd be, I'd be summoning, I'd be, I'd, be, I'd be sending the National Guard over to their corporate offices. That's treasonous. You're taking the taxpayer money from the American people, and then you're, you're taking food off their table, and then you're taking food off their table. No, no. Donald Trump, folks, didn't go far enough, as far as I'm concerned. All right. So, you know, listen, you want to want to be prostitutes, Uncle Sam be the John. And when the check comes in, or maybe a better description is the pimp. And you know what? You hey, hey, honey, over there at GM, it's Friday night. Where's my money? Okay. Because Uncle Uncle Sam is Don freaking magic wand, feather in the cap, and the and the shiny suit. And he is dropping Newport Light lung darts every three seconds on a street corner, waiting for his money on a Friday night. So you want to be you want to be pimped out? Pay the pimp. And when you don't pay the pimp, there's going to be a price, another price to pay. If you know what I'm saying, tell me I'm wrong. Who disagrees? No, well, you, and we 
talked about this not too long ago, but these kind of just smug inside baseball hypocrisies are what were behind uh, the one of the big things behind McCain's loss in 2008. You're talking about Tarp here, you know, the, the maverick and the guy who wouldn't play the game, and then he just double triple suspended his campaign to play the game uh, on the game and simultaneously the guy is trying I'm a conservative to, yes. and Tom Coburn told me uh, he's a conservative he votes against every pork bill in the Senate and rails against it and then the biggest pork bill of them all right. came up right in the middle of his campaign and he was all for it yes. and simultaneously uh the worst thing uh W ever said uh combined with that we have to suspend free market principles in order to save the free market yeah, I mean, yeah. you're that's what you're talking about here and and, and trump is showing why his his economic principles here are uh, are dead on with what i ultimately said his whole issue with the tariffs are. he 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 his his gig is playing chicken and he's doing it here and uh, as steve said uh, major props to that uh now uh, unfortunately beyond that game of chicken it, it, you know you realize and I know, Steve, you realize we're going to be talking tomorrow that Donald Trump actually like says, here's some more money to these guys. I mean, yeah. unfortunately, that's oh, the I, do I think there's piece. a pretty good chance Trump's going to yeah. tweet to the CEO of GM. Just kidding. Yeah. Ha- oh, had, yeah. him, had him for lunch at the Rose Garden. Great guy. Never mind. But yeah, that does, very powerful. Yeah. That doesn't, very powerful. It's only important to mention that to say it, it, uh, this is what we're dealing with here. It doesn't take away from the point he's making r- right now. And again, like, with, like are you say, are you telling me that you're not sure the best way to play chicken with the CEO of large, of, of arguably the largest corporation on planet Earth is to right before you address him, make some third grade comment about voter stickers from some defrocked Broward County public official? Are you telling me that you think when those sequences are put together back to back, maybe that's not the the leverage, you, the, the message you want to send the person you're trying to leverage. Is that what you're telling me? A little bit. Okay. We, All right. Gotcha. But reasonable. Yeah, this is important. It's And it goes to what we talked about, the moral calculus uh, of these, uh, these businesses. Often they're really uh, isn't one uh, at all, uh, even though they'll have all these mission states uh, statements about who they are, and you'll see a glowing commercial about how uh, they're behind all the people, the people that work for them, the people that don't work for them. Um, Steve has every reason uh, to be skeptical of that, and this just goes to show, I mean, how many years ago did you do this? A decade ago? Yeah. It just goes to show, you know, this whole 2019 no BS thing, it's not really a new thing. Aaron? Yeah, this is, this is I think... Um Basically, the conversation that we were having with Eric Bowling on the CR Roundtable yep. a couple of weeks ago. Yep. And I'm tr- um, trying to make the argument. I, I mean, I will grant that as conservatives, we're always fighting for the, the way things we think should be. But we always have to recognize the way things are. And that's kind of the argument that I made. Um, what you just said, Steve, that you know, if Amazon Jr. in Virginia sees Amazon coming in and getting all of these giant tax breaks, and they say, "Hey, what, what the heck? What's up with this? We started in your state. We want to be as big as Amazon someday. Why are they getting all the tax breaks?" That's that's not um, that that's again, it's not maybe right, but it would be more fair if it was extended to everybody. Uh, but I said, you know, I. I I, I grant that that's not the way the world is. If Pioneer here in Iowa picks up and leaves because we're not giving them enough breaks, they will find somewhere else that will give them enough uh, enough tax breaks. That's just the world that we live in right now. And um, the, I, I use that to illustrate 
again, that there's no such thing as as just being a fiscal conservative. Either you're a conservative or yep. you're not, because That's you're right. trying. This is a cultural battle. Uh, th- this is the front lines of the cultural battle right now. And I, I, I made that. I tried to make that point, and he came back and he said, "Well, love you, buddy. There's no morals in business." And you know what? He's actually right. But the fact that we're cool with the fact that there's more, no morals in business, that's the prog- problem. You know well, who else says there's no morals in business? Uh, the cut- cartels, uh, the gangs. That's that's no standard. MS-13 by, has MS-13. believes there's no morals in business. Yeah, uh, there's, that's <laughs> no standard by which to set your policy. At the same time, though, that's not the world that we live in. <laughs> our policy, our, our best papers at, uh, you know, name name. Name the foundation, conservative fiscal foundation, whatever. Your best policy papers are not the world that we live in right now. The world that we live in is full of uh, grifters and full of corporatists. That's the issue. And that's yep. and and so if we're going to um, see the world as it is, then at least try to make the policies fair, even if they're not right. That's try exactly to make them right. Fair. See, I think we are. I think we could actually. I know we were just kind of making snide comments that cartels and and gangs don't believe there's morality in business either. Uh, they but, might. Actually, but but, yeah. but but you know, here's the reality. I think we could actually be very successful in the system that Eric Bowling was telling us he believes we have. I think we'd be fine. Like I've I've I just sat down with my daughter, my oldest daughter, the other night. We were having a talk, and she's getting ready to graduate from high school, and she's getting involved in theater and trying to figure out do I want to go to school, pursue theater. She really likes the job she has for the company uh, that, that she's working for in the mall, and they're going to promote her to manager when she turns eighteen. And she's wondering, and, and do I rack up a bunch of student loan debt or just take the gig? And so we're you know we're sitting down and, and going through all these things. And here's the piece of advice I gave her that I had to learn the hard way. When you have really strong convictions, the temptation is to always go into business with people that have the exact same convictions as you. And you know, I just had this conversation with our friend Shannon Joy the other night, same conversation. She ran into this with the radio station owner uh, that she was working for in New York, who despite the fact she was bringing in six figures of advertising to a radio station in Rochester, New York, which is an exorbitant amount of revenue, for a market of that size. Literally out in the middle of a field. Yeah, and they got rid of her because they just got tired of hearing it. And she's like, well, I didn't, you know, and, and she goes, I learned my lesson. We didn't have a contract or anything. I thought we had similar beliefs. See, I've made those mistakes too. When the choice is, let's do business together because we have similar beliefs or let's do business together because we have a similar motivation. Always choose the similar motivation. And if the similar, because the similar motivation is I like to eat and so is my family and I like my bills paid. Now, if you can work with people with similar beliefs who have that same motivation, well, now you don't need the binary choice and enjoy life. But we're often in this world not permitted that advantage. And because at least when people have the same motivation, you know where everybody's coming from. And because and, I think those of us with strong convictions can work just fine with people with different convictions if the motivations are the same, because the standard is clearly articulated. Those GOP donors who hated my guts for what I said about them all those years on HO try to get me fired more times than I probably ever let on. And it never worked. Why? Because even when the biggest donor of them all, Bruce Rastetter, who's now on the State Board of Regents in Iowa, pulled six figures of his advertising out of our farm show. And that's an extraordinary amount of money. It's, you know, my show billed about eight times what he was paying into the radio station. And so the radio station was like, Bruce, we really appreciate your business, but they did the math. See, this guy generates 800,000 in his show and you're paying us 100,000. So maybe, do we want to lose 100,000? No, but not as much as we don't want to lose 800,000. Know what I'm saying? Now, if it came down to a popularity contest or who they were more comfortable with, I'm going to probably lose. But it didn't come down to that. It came down to motivation. 
That's why I want. All right. So I would, I'm fine with actually the economic system Eric was articulating. We don't have that system. We have the grifter system. We have, we have, when my guys win, I get to, I get to rape, pillage, and plunder the populace. And when your guys win, you get to do it. That is gangster government. That's not an economy. Okay. That's not, a, that's, that's not, I would, I would, I would go for the Gordon Gecko. Right now, I would take it hands down, but we don't have that. We have too big to fail. We have, you have to buy my insurance product no matter what the price is because government says, uh, and, I'm, and we're in business together. We don't, have, we don't have the competitive environment anymore. Uh, we don't. And because of that, um, if we're going to have a grifter, gangster government system, then by golly, I'm going to fight that it's fair to that that if that everybody gets to have their hand in the pie or nobody does. That's my point, Todd. Well, uh, and I, I don't. We're, we're going to see pretty quickly. Uh, I, I think uh, as more and more uh, people are entrenched in various versions of communism, socialism, as you, as you said, if, if perhaps that is one of the lights in the darkness, uh, that's, that saves us. Because uh, sooner or later, some people have been pulled off the left. And this is the argument you and I are having, like just kind of the common sense argument of how many people are out there mm-hmm. that just want to, like, it, as communism gets more and more crazy, like, I, I, I believe in this a little bit, but I, I, I actually believe more in just having a... a Trying to feed my family and have a job somewhere, and these even these corporate businesses are making it impossible. The greatest benefit to Marxists is a, is gangster government because it, people say I can't. It, that's unfair to me. Give me a guarantee standard, and that's when they always fall for the Marxist scam right out of the gangster government every time. It is the latest fad sweeping the criminal underworld. It is called home title fraud. Why? Well, because for the vast majority of Americans, the most valuable asset they'll have other than a life insurance policy they'll never get to take advantage of, obviously, is the equity in their own home. And nowadays, those titles are all online. Don't have to go down to the recorder's office anymore with a photo ID uh, and, you know, comb through mountains of records. Uh, Now they can just go right online. Uh, They can uh, hack the website, forge your signature. Sometimes it's just that easy to grab a hold of your home equity. And some of you may be like, well, man, if somebody wants to pay my mortgage, they can have it. Oh, they're not going to pay your mortgage. They're just going to make it when you go to get that second or third mortgage or that HELOC, uh, that home equity loan, or you go to sell your home thinking you've got all this mortgage or all this uh, equity built up in it, and suddenly it's gone. That's what they're after, the real value in your home. Here's one way you can protect it. Home title lock. They'll put a virtual barrier around your home's title. The instant they see any sinister activity whatsoever, they will deal with it uh, and they will help to shut it down. And you can find out right now, am I vulnerable right now? Sign up for a free title scan and report at hometitlelock.com. Free title scan and report right now at hometitlelock.com. Daniel Horowitz is here to take us inside politics from Conservative Review, where right now, Dace Christmas is a promo code at CRTV.com. It'll cost you just $1.50 a week to get an annual subscription to CRTV. Dace Christmas at CRTV.com. Daniel, good to see you, brother. How are you? 
Hey, great to be with you. I'm sure you're looking forward to Christmas, Steve. I am. I've got three more weeks of work, and then we're down in the basement for a couple of weeks, and we won't be seen uh, until 2019. Uh, among my favorite weeks of the year, no question about that. Not that I don't love what I do. I do. Beats going down a mine shaft with a flashlight, but those few weeks a year off with pay, it's the American way right there, baby. So let's let's get to what's going on politically right now. We were just talking about this, and and to put it to bed, I'd like to get your take on it. I'm 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 totally in favor of the president favor uh, uh, threatening General Motors subsidies yesterday because my initial reaction was, uh, why does General Motors have subsidies? I mean, it's like the biggest corporation on planet Earth, not called Google or Microsoft. So I'm fine with them threatening those subsidies. To me, I think it's the same thing as with Twitter. Do you want to be an open source uh, platform or do you want editorial uh, control? You can have one or the other. That's fine. You can self-determine as a company, but you can't have them both. So pick one. Similarly, does uh, General Motors want to be a corporation? Or does if it does, then I'm happy to fight against the regulatory state and things of that nature, as I know you are. But if it wants to be a corporatist, then in my opinion, Trump didn't go far enough. I mean, taking the taking the, the American people's money and then taking their the money off their table and removing their jobs, that's treasonous as far as I'm concerned. I, if I was the President of the United States, I'd be threatening their asses with treason. What's your take? You know, any other era, I would have been against something that's in the spirit of what the Constitution calls a bill of attainder, mm-hmm. um, where, where you kind of single out a particular entity. Um, but here's the deal. As you mentioned, they're singled out often for subsidies, sometimes not exactly singled out individually, but certainly a very uh, small sector. But as we spoke about last week when I came on the show, there's a general problem with the corporate world where they're benefiting from the few morsels of free market we support. But as we mentioned before, you can't half-ass free market Mm -hmm. theory. You have to have the full picture. Now, I don't want to become like some of the sycophants with Trump that they've jettisoned any, you know, shred of conservatism. We stand by where we stand. We want all of the regulatory state repealed. We want all of Obamacare repealed. Um, We want a pure free market, and we're going to continue advocating for that. But until and unless they show steps of doing that, I'm not going to be a martyr while allowing them to, to rob use me them blind. To, right. To rob me blind. Yep. And, and I'll give you something similar that just came up in the news that I think is welcome news. So the left is always using leverages of state or federal government um, contracts, employees to enforce cultural Marxism. So if you don't kowtow to uh, the homosexual agenda, transgenderism, we're going to go and divest from you. So you know what? Ron DeSantis is threatening when he takes office ne- next month. Florida is a big state, and Airbnb is a company that singled out Jews and Judea and Samarians that they're not going to list their properties. Not that they're you know, avoiding disputed territories because they have no problem in Cyprus um, uh, recognizing the Turkish occupation. And even in Judea and Samaria, it's not like they're staying out of it. They're only delisting Jewish uh, properties. So he was, he was like, dude, I'm going to stop state workers from using Airbnb. He's threatening that. And I think that's total fair game. You cannot have asymmetrical warfare mm-hmm. here, and it's time we play on their territory. All right, let's move on to something uh, that we were talking about yesterday. I want to get your take on as well. Uh, that, you know, and I think maybe I need to take this analysis a step further. I, I originally thought it would be a boon to Trump for a John Kasich to primary him. And I still believe that, by the way, because he's going to do so from the left. And what this is going to permit Trump to do is to continue to rally his conservative base 
and soaking up a lot of the media oxygen while the Democrats are over here having a primary fight, which would typically get all the oxygen in the room against a sitting president. But now, you know, Trump's going to be able to throw his weight around, which, uh, which I think accomplishes two different goals for him politically. I now am beginning to think it actually may benefit our, our, the folks in our audience at the same time, because I, I think it's very likely that left without, left without a political foil, the fulcrum is going to swing to the left for a guy with New York values. Okay. And, you know, and, and Javanka's constant attempts to wiggle their way into the uh, number one, uh, you know, uh, prime minister position essentially in the, in, in Trump's government. But if you've got Kasich and or a flake out there on cable news every night hitting him from the left, I think we also know that as much as Trump would love to provide Javanka, uh, you know, everything in their dreams, Trump's dreams come first, even before Javanka's. And there's no way he's going to sit there and just let Kasich and or flake troll him every night on CNN and MSNBC without responding from the right. So I actually think not only would this be a boon to Trump politically, I think it might help our audience. Uh, in terms of uh, what kind of policies you see the, the White House advocate in 2019. Your thoughts, Daniel? Here, here's the deal. What we found with Trump is the best way to get him conservative is when liberals attack him. Yes. I mean, that, that, that's, that's what it is. Yeah, that's, um, in case, that's what Kasich and Flake are. <laughs> so there and, you go. And you notice that early on in, in, in the administration, there was this inkling that he had to work with Democrats, and they just wouldn't, they wouldn't allow it. Um, and that's that's what saves us every time the transigence from the left and Kasich would essentially be a Democrat running in the Republican primary. So if Kasich is emoting every night about criminal justice reform, it's a little bit hard for Trump mm-hmm. to sit and promote that. So I think you're right about the conservative outcome. But I think in general, if you're on team Republican and nothing more, there is a benefit to having a primary. It's the opposite of conventional wisdom. But I actually think in particularly in this era with Trump in the dynamic that it would take place, it would help Trump all around. It would help Republicans all around. A lot of people think, oh, hey, the other side has a bloody primary. We sit, you know, all pretty and we're good to go. And, you know, a bloody primary hurts the side that has it. It's not necessarily true. Often the opposite happens. It spawns excitement and it wakes up dormancy in the party. It, it, it creates more of a voter registration drive for the party that has the exciting primary. You saw this, um, you know, in the last GOP primary when they were like, oh, my God, you can't have these debates and everyone's saying crazy things and tearing each other down. Mm -hmm. We're not going to win the general. Well, they won the general. It created a lot more excitement, vice versa for the Democrats in the 2008 uh, hotly contested Hillary-Obama match, whereas that year, you know, McCain won it pretty early on, and he was sitting, you know, for months while Obama and Hillary were slugging it out, and he got crushed. Um, Democrats really increased their voter registration that year. I think what you would have is— particularly in 2020, you would have all the benefits, but none of the liabilities. You'd have the benefits of excitement, of um, you know, getting Trump more in his element. And again, he does better at campaigning than governing, much like Obama. But also, you wouldn't have the liability that the Democrats are going to have of a contested primary, which is draining funds. One of the important things that happened this year is Democrats were able to win, on my view, 15 to 20 close House races because of the um, wide gap in fundraising because they were able to put that all into house races. There was a now, massive gap in the fundraising between O'Rourke and Cruz in Texas, for example. Oh yeah, everywhere, everywhere. Next, next cycle, that 
the race for the house is in the toilet in terms of fundraising because they have to spend all that money not just on their eventual nominee, which they're going to have. They didn't have a party leader sucking up the energy and money, but in the primary. Whereas if you have Kasich, I mean, A, what money is he going to suck up? Trump already, to his credit, as we learned last time, doesn't need money. He doesn't, you know, he has his own method of campaigning. So it's not going to suck up the money, um, but I think it will juice up enthusiasm. I actually think it would be good for everyone to have a primary. So, you know, I, I just took our audience through an exercise on Monday that the biggest mistake the forecasters are making with Trump, and I gave all the data and all the specifics, and I would consider you and I to be in that business as well to some extent. The biggest mistake that was made with Trump in 2016 is this belief that because he violated norms, the, the cake had changed. No, his flavor of frosting is stronger and different, but the cake is still the same. Trump won with the same coalition. Any of the 16 other Republicans that ran were going to have to win with eventually. That it was actually Obama who was the paradigm shifter. It's just that because he's mainstream to the, to the analysts who are mostly leftists, they don't see it. And so the, the conventional wisdom is, well, Steve, you were just arguing that the conventional wisdom hasn't changed as much as people thought, and now you think a primary is good. Every president that gets primaried in modern times loses. Here's the difference. If you look at all of the examples on the Democratic or Republican side of a president in modern times who was primaried, look at the examples. Let's go to 1992. Pat Buchanan primary George H.W. Bush from the right, meaning he's turning his his base against him. In 1980, in 1980 Ted Kennedy primaried Jimmy Carter from the left, turning his base against him. In 1976, Ronald Reagan primaried Jerry Ford from the right, turning his base against him. This would be the inevitable. He would. This would be the opposite of that. This would be an in, really Kasich or and or Flake would be usurpers, not ralliers. They would be essentially helping Trump to turn to his base. He'd have to turn to his base to defeat those folks. This would be different than those other modern primaries that often get thrown around. It's not the same challenge at all. Exactly. I, I cannot think of another example. There were threats to do something like that in the in the past. Um, you know, there was talk of McCain challenging Bush in 04 early on, but obviously that never materialized. Uh, this is unique. Um, and, and much to our chagrin, I think it would obfuscate and kind of give Trump a loincloth for what I think we know he's going to do on a lot of policy issues where conservatives might start getting ticked off. Uh, you know, it, that's going to go away because these people are going to get the, get get on MSNBC every night and just remind everyone why they w- voted for Trump to begin with. Now, I do think the one coalition shifter that we do have to watch out for is what happens to the suburban voters that were the extra tranche of suburban voters that we've bled the last few years, what happens to them in 2020? Mm -hmm. In other words, does the fact that you have a Democrat candidate that becomes an entity in themselves, the presidential candidate gets enough saturation, becomes enough of a platform that they become their own entity, does that swing them back to Trump? Or do they continue the migration like you're seeing in this year with just generic D's running against the disquiet of Trump's personality? Because I will tell you, one thing you had quietly last night, a lot of people not talking about, is that Cindy Hyde-Smith, the lifelong Democrat turned Republican that uh, uh, ran for her full term um, in the Mississippi Senate race, she only won that race by eight points. And from what I'm seeing, 
we're losing suburbs in freaking Mississippi, and that's bad. I thought so that, I thought I, I thought you had to nominate lifelong Democrats to win back those voters in the suburbs, right? That's isn't that what we're we're told, right? Well, I, but I, I mean, to be what, fair, what, what, what's her liberty score in in Congress? It was like thirty something percent or something, right? I mean, they oh, essentially yeah. then they essentially is this too? Is, maybe this is not this is an overreaction. I I, I thought they elected the the Lisa Murkowski of the South. Am I wrong? I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I'd say it's the Mitch McConnell of the South. You know, it's um, I don't think she's as bad as Lisa just because I don't think she has the um, fortitude to dissent from McConnell from the left. I mean, I think it's just going to be just a doorknob establishment Republican. Um, let's just say to put it nicely, policy is not exactly her thing. So I don't she I don't think she's capable of being out on her own on any issue. But I, I think to be fair, I don't think she lost those voters. I think it's showing that the pattern of losing these voters is even in the deep South. And that is very disturbing. That is a very big red flag that we should worry about. The question is, if you nominate a Kamala, a Kamala Harris or something like that, does that all go away? Right. Because ultimately it's not a generic backlash against Republicans. It's do you want Kamala Harris or Trump? And that's, that's if you look at the Texas returns, that's where Beta O'Rourke beat Ted Cruz. Uh, as he made huge uh, inroads in those suburban places where, by the way, Ted Cruz used to be a, the favorite of those kinds of Republicans uh, in, in, in the past. When I go back to the 2016 campaign, when I was on that campaign, one of the core data points we looked at in every state was right away, what's the suburban turnout? Because we knew we were going to beat Trump badly in those areas. We just needed a high enough turnout to compensate for how badly he was going to beat us in the rural ones. And now it just goes to show how different, how Trump has rebranded the Republican Party is now even guys like Ted Cruz, who rose to prominence because of those kinds of suburban Republicans in many cases, is now losing them because he's not seen as a singular entity, is seen as, you know, for better or for worse. And there's benefits to being attached to Trump, too. It's not all a negative sum game, but but there are negatives. And that's what you are that's what you're talking about right now do you think the right message for winning back those suburban voters are let's let criminals go free earlier steve I, I know i shouldn't era. have done it I, i'm sorry i couldn't i we're i, I couldn't in an resist. era where it's black friday <laughs> it's black friday and cyber monday all the time um you listen words, marco rubio agrees with you how about that well i think a lot of that is you know, he took his turn with the Gang of Eight. He's like, hey, Mike Lee, <laughs> you, 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 you go fight with the base on this. Um, I think he's learned his lesson on that. But, you know, Steve, what I'm saying is, you know, it's, it's, it's Cyber Monday every day in the suburbs. I mean, you know, not, not that people don't struggle anymore, but the quality of life is as good as can ever be. Um, it's hard to have an economic message to really reach these people, even on health care, unfortunately, much to our chagrin. People still have this stupid system of getting their insurance from work and they don't realize that it's coming out of their paycheck and they're happy with it. Most of them, you know, there are some small business owners that are hit by Obamacare Mm -hmm. and that's the problem. So I think more than any economic message, it's a safety and security agenda that you're going to win them back on. The nexus of terrorism, borders, crime, drug trafficking, you know, that's the stuff that I think just given the issues that are in front of us today are the lowest hanging fruits. And we're like, Hey, let's let Soros let go. The, 
the the dudes that the dudes that drive this the narco submarines transporting the cocaine to our shores. Jeez, I mean, uh, I, you know, but it's an emergency. This is what we got to do. This is um the final control of the house. It's jailbreak, and they also yesterday passed a bill to give more foreign aid to countries that are at risk. See, this is the thing, and I, and and we have people even on our own staff. Not, there's not a unanimity on this here at Conservative Review. I mean, you have a different position on this issue than Michelle Malkin does. Tom Cotton has a different position on this issue than uh, than Mike Lee does. But I think we would. I think everyone would probably agree on this. If you voted Republican three weeks ago and have never received a check from the Koch brothers in your life, regardless of whatever your position is on this issue, you don't want the last few days of the Republican majority spent on this and not border enforcement permanent tax cuts, uh, you know, defunding Planned Parenthood. Almost nobody who's not gotten a check from the from the Koch brothers would want this to be the focus of their last few days. I think everybody would agree on that. Steve, that's the thing. I have my nerdy issues too. I mean, we all have our kind of white whale policy issues. But I think the point you're making, which is very valid, is that aside from the offensive nature of the provisions of this bill, what is the emergency? Where the heck did this come from? Exactly. Who, who did yep. like? And I think we know where it came from, and that is what's so wrong with our politics. It came from everyone getting a check from the Cokes or Doug Deason. Mm-hmm. That's exactly That's right. That's exactly right. We got to go, man. We'll see you next week. Take care. All right. Thank you for joining us right here, Daniel Horowitz, our weekly prophet of woe and lamentation from Conservative Review. When we come back with hour number two, we got to drop today's truth bomb. And then you guys are going to get to drop some bombs on us. We'll play buy, sell, or hold as well. Coming back here live on The Blaze on demand at CRTV. Stay tuned. We are back with hour two of the Steve Day Show here live on The Blaze on demand at CRTV. I am Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. Let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. If you're listening to the podcast version of the program, last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. And if you are a podcast listener at iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play, Spotify, etc., hey, leave us a five-star review if you haven't done so already, please. Uh, we really appreciate those. They help to build the audience. Maybe you don't like the show, if, then we're kind of wondering why you're wasting your time with us. But if you don't like it, don't lie, but maybe keep that to yourself. For those of you that do dig the program, five-star reviews help us. Thank you to all of you who have left us one. Even just clicking that subscribe button. Uh, the more of those numbers that pile up, those help us as well. So thank you to all of you for that too. And now we reach the portion of the program where we are supposed to be promoting a product. Instead, we will be promoting uh, in a very backwards way, uh, but it's kind of uh, his thing. Uh, we will be doing the humble brag with Aaron McIntyre instead. Aaron. I can't really say any more. Back to you, Steve. <laughs> It is past Black Friday, uh, but it's still not too late. If you haven't, uh, if you haven't done it y- yet, it's not too late to start thinking about getting a very cool gift for a special somebody in your life. One that they can use, and one that might even help save their life at some point. Uh, of course, I'm talking about iTarget Pro. This year, you can be the coolest relative, coolest friend. 
best Santa with the iTarget Pro, unless you're not into Santa like some people, and I'm sure we're going to get emails about that at some point because it's that time of the year, but you can be the best Santa with iTarget Pro, the product that's revolutionizing the dry fire training industry. Utilizing your smartphone, the proprietary app tracks your caliber-specific laser. In my case, that's 9mm, which fits inside your firearm and will detect exactly where your shots are landing. iTarget is completely safe, comes with your caliber-specific laser, target system, and instructions so you can begin training immediately. Just go to the letter itargetpro.com, check out the video, choose your caliber, download the app so you're ready to go when the system arrives. And right now as well, this is really cool, get free shipping through the end of the year, plus save an additional 10% with the offer code STEVE when you purchase the iTarget Pro system. Save time, save money, and take your skill to the next level safely and effectively. That's the letter itargetpro.com, itargetpro.com. Free shipping now through the end of the year. Save 10% when you use offer code STEVE. So, Todd, when do you think we get the ad script that ends with the tagline, get iTarget Pro, You'll be and you too can, yeah. can shoot like Aaron? What do you think? It should have been yesterday. What's that? It should have been yesterday. I, I, I have, Aaron, you've shown enormous restraint that you have not added that line to the script yourself. Oh, it's coming. It's coming. I mean, yes, I have shown restraint. That's one of my many skills and qualities. <laughs> also, humility, too. You're great at that. I'm, I, everybody should be as Nobody's humble. more humble than me. Yeah, everybody should be as humble as I am. I am the pantheon, or no, the, uh, the, the paragon of humility. Aaron's uh, humble brag, I target pro ads, remind me of one of my favorite stories of my sports writing days um, is I heard this story about Hayden Fry, the legendary old Iowa football coach that remember the show coach in the eighties with sure. Craig T Nelson. It was the guy Sheldon bull who created that show was an Iowa grad. And that's why the coach was named Hayden Fox after Hayden Fry. And there's a great story. And I, I heard this from an old assistant coach of Hayden Fry that um, it was the peak of his program and they had Ronnie Harmon and Chuck Long and all those guys. And they were, there was the spring practice going into the year where they were going to be number one in the country for about half of the season. And some uh, young Iowa high school recruits are visiting a spring practice one day, you know, and they're 16, 17 years old, you know, high school kids. And this is back before kids were doing creatine and protein shakes, you know, so they hadn't, you know, they're not close to being fully developed or anything. Nowadays, sometimes it's hard to tell the high school kids from the college kids with the way you can develop nowadays, right? And so Hayden's showing these kids around after a spring practice and, and taking them around the facilities. And they just got done with, with practice. And a lot of the guys that are on the team are in the shower, you know, and, and guys start coming out of the shower while the prospects are making the rounds. And out comes Ronnie Harmon in all of his glory. You're going to do this live, are you? Yeah. I was thinking the same thing. This is a great story. <laughs> Speaking of getting emails. <laughs> and, they, and these young men, these young teenagers – are just like gawking, right? Okay. And Hayden is noticing the looks on their faces and without skipping a beat, drops his recruiting pitch right there and says, and men, if you come to Iowa, you're going to look like that too someday. Right? That's, a, that's what I, I always think of that story when Aaron does these iTarget Pro ads. Shows it, he shows his marksmanship and skill. I mean, and he's like, I mean, guys, this is so simple. Look how good I'm shooting. Look, look at how good. Look at how good it is. Look, look again. You always think of naked men in the shower when Aaron does his commercial? What? Uh, that was out of bounds, but 
because it was a quality shot. I will allow it to stand. I will allow it to stand. Yes. Um, speaking of truth bombs, I think we just had one right there. All right. Today's truth bomb, which is, again, because total honesty, no BS rule on the show heading into 2019 and for next year. Uh, it is, this is a, a segment I just created because we need to promote the book now because I keep forgetting it's coming out. Uh, so January 15th is when the book comes out. Pre-orders right now for your copy of Truth Bombs, uh, Confronting the Lies Conservatives Believe to Our Own Demise. Pre-orders are available right now at Amazon.com, including, you see Ben Shapiro's endorsement there. If you're a CRTV subscriber, Mark Levin's endorsement uh, on the book, as well as Dan Bongino's. Uh, if you're a fan of The Blaze, we've got Glenn Beck's endorsement too. I just went out and tried to get an endorsement to try to pander to as many of you as I possibly could. Success, maybe? Yeah. You think lying, success? Guys. Yes. I, you no. would do the same. Which is why it's weird the publisher is having to tell you you're committing a dude code violation on yourself by I not know. talking about yourself I, more. I, I know. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm no, I'm, That's, can't get, get kicked off Twitter. Can't, yeah, can't I know, elevate I'm, your own book. Yeah. Come on, man. I know. I, I haven't been offensive enough on Twitter. I suck at self-promotion. What am I doing here you're not, now? You're probably not even going to go to CPAC this year. What kind of conservative? Yeah, how do I even get in conservative media? Let anybody into this nowadays. Aaron, shoot something. Take this <laughs> right. thing over. Show me your shot again, Aaron. Yes. <laughs> All right, let's get to it. Here's today's truth bomb. I saw this on Twitter yesterday. Now, if you're not following memory... You need to follow memory. M-E-M, for those of you listening on the podcast or you're listening to the live radio feed right now at the Blaze Radio. All right, let me spell it for you. M-E-M-R-I. M-E-M-R-I. Go, you need to be following them on Twitter, all right? Memory is an outstanding resource. Here's all they do, guys. All they do is they give you unfiltered look-ins at what's going on, what's broadcast over the media in the Muslim world. And it's not all one-sided. They're having a lot of debates there about whether they should modernize, whether they whether they should uh, have better relationships with uh, with Israel. I had I, I shared a clip from memory the other day where one of their Egyptian leaders was saying, "Right now, Israel is a hell of a lot less of a threat to the Muslim world than Iran." Okay, so that's why you want to join this. You want to follow these guys. So it's this just, is C-SPAN kind of C-SPAN for the Arab world. Yes, huh. memory. M E. That's a great analogy. M E M R I. You want to follow them. It's an outstanding resource. No filter whatsoever. They just it, you you basically get to look in. You're the eye in the sky. You look in at what's being broadcast over the air in the Muslim world, and it's really an interesting follow. All right, so put this one back up there, Aaron. I saw this yesterday. This is the Prime Minister of uh, Pakistan. Uh, Imran Khan, I believe is how it's pronounced, Imran Khan, who says, quote, no mention of Jesus in history, unquote, and then announces International Anti-Blasphemy Convention and that, quote, the West should be made to understand our love for Muhammad. Here's one problem with this. If you truly have a love for Muhammad, you cannot then claim there is no mention of Jesus in history. Because do you know where Jesus is mentioned in history? Is this one of those self-owns you often yes. talk about? This is a self-own, guys. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, in the Quran, in fact. <laughs> Jesus is... So I, the only way that this is not a self-own is if he is now admitting to us the Quran should not be taken seriously as a historical document, which I guess then would be another cell phone, right? 
Wow. This two is for a, one? Yeah, this, this is this is a two bargain. Is it everywhere. Tuesday? Is this two for Tuesday? Like in the old classic rock stations, where the burnout would give you a couple of Skinners in a row. That's right. Ta- I, you're thinking of Taco John's, I think. <laughs> is that what it is? No, it's Wednesday actually. Okay, but this is it, this is a cell phone either way. Either he doesn't know his own self, his own source material, and that's possible. I mean, I know we think that it's different. Trust me, they got sellout pandering politicians in Pakistan. Every much, if it's be, like- they, they got fake Muslim politicians in Pakistan. Like we got fake Jewish and Christian politicians here in the states who it's just know a couple almost, of catchphrases almost, to get elected. Okay, almost like human nature is. Universal. Universal. Yeah. Yes. All right. So it is possible he doesn't know his, his his the Quran from a hole in the ground, and he's just pandering and throwing stuff out there because he's appealing to a base of people. That is absolutely possible. In fact, it might even be likely. But what's true is that Jesus is in the Quran, and so there he's referred to as the Son of Mary. The Quran teaches that uh, Jesus was. Uh, was actually not resurrected because he escaped crucifixion. Uh, that God, that Allah saw what the Jews had planned to do to the prophet, uh, the prophet Yeshua, and so uh, he fooled the Jews by having uh, someone else placed on the cross in Jesus's stead. Okay, so that is right in the Quran, guys. It's right so in this there. This has got to be kind of frustrating for you because you would have, Steve would have liked to go all jo- Josephus on you and you know give you all this historical. Yes. Con- but he just yeah. goes into his whisper voices. I don't know if you guys know this, guys, but it's, it's in your own document. Right. It's kind of disappointing. Awkward. I, it's yeah. kind of. It's, it is. It's kind of like it's help kind me of help you. Disappointing when it's kind of like the atheist who wrote the, the the thing a few years ago in the Guardian or whatever about from from the United Kingdom and you know where are these great debates between you know atheists and christianity anymore it is kind of disappointing when the prime minister of the islamic republic of iran i believe that's the the proper name um can't even it has to be fact-checked by some guy on the treadmill in west des moines i that's i mean steve's intellect is way above average but still you know yeah that's not disappointing that doesn't that that, what you were talking about human nature being universal we got a lot of gullible americans who just will line up with anybody who throws them a catchphrase right Apparently, there's plenty of those kinds of voters then in Pakistan as well, okay? Because if you were a true Islamist, like we were, we were talking the other day that the, the leftists on social media over Thanksgiving who were claiming that taxation is superior to philanthropy, they don't believe that. They don't believe that because no one ever voluntarily pays more in taxes than they have to. Nobody does. Nobody does. All right, so they, they don't believe it. They believe coercion and control is superior to charity when they're the ones wielding it. That's what they really believe, okay? But they don't really believe taxation is superior to philanthropy because if they believe that, they would pay more in taxes to be even more philanthropic, but they don't because they don't believe their own poo. This is horse bucky. They don't believe it, all right? Here's how you know, and just and we've also pointed out, it, it, most feminists aren't true feminists like Megan Murphy. She's a true left-wing feminist, the gal that got banned from Twitter for doubting trans psychosis ideology and saying, guys, I don't like men and I'm tired of them taking things from women. So why are we giving things to men who are faking and pretending to be women? That that would actually be the, that's kind of the Camille Paglia position, right? On the whole trans thing. That would actually be a consistent, logically consistent position for a man-hating egalitarian feminist to have, correct? Yes. Yes. That's how, that's, you really do truly hate the patriarchy if that is your position. I, I'm with you. 
I'm not with you on your position, but I applaud your intellectual consistency is my point. Okay. Uh, so Megan, Megan Murphy was kicked off Twitter for actually being a, twi a, a feminist. That's why she was kicked off. That's the offense she made. She's an actual feminist. She actually, she actually believed the crap that was peddled to her in her women's W O M Y N S studies class in college. She actually believed the stuff at Wellesley college. She believed they were telling her the truth. She bought into it. That's her crime. And that's now why she's off of Twitter. Same thing here. You're not a real Islamist. If you were a real Islamist and you really wanted a heavier prosecution of anti-blasphemy laws, you'd start with this Pakistani prime minister who clearly doesn't know a damn thing about the Quran. Okay? Because um, you would hold Prophet Jesus, is what you would call him as an Islamist, you would hold him in a very high regard. In fact, there are Islamic traditions— popular with like the former president of Iran, for example, who believe that the 12th imam who will return at the end of days to extract and to uh, extol the vengeance of Allah, that that 12th imam is Jesus, who will come back to uh, punish we polytheist Christians for teaching that God has a son. Okay, There's, there, that, is, that is prevalent in some Islamic eschatological traditions. So if you are a, see, here's the difference. Are you a true Islamist or are you just anti-American? See where I'm going with this? If you're anti-American, then you're fine with this guy pandering his rear end off and showing his ass because he doesn't even know what the hell he's talking about. Doesn't even know, he's blaspheming the very book he wants blasphemy laws against, he's blaspheming it. So are you anti-American or are you a Islamist. Now you can be an anti-American, you can be an Islamist who's anti-American, okay? But you can't be anti-American and not be Islamist. It can't it doesn't work that way. It's one or the other. So if you really want blasphemy laws in countries that are given over to Islamism, you need to start with the Prime Minister of Pakistan. Because he just blasphemed the Quran right there in that clip, guys. And that is that is today's truth bomb. That apparently a 260-pound man who had to lose 130 pounds to get down to 260 pounds. A 260-pound man in West Des Moines, Iowa, and I don't do treadmills. They're too easy. I do ellipticals or actual running. Thank you. Okay. I was meaning that as Mr. a Mr. I-Target. I'm I sorry. I'm not as cool as you. As a compliment, Steve. I know. I know. A 260-pound middle-aged man with a five head in West Des Moines, Iowa, apparently knows more about the Quran than the damn prime minister of Pakistan does. All right. Well, that was Pakistan. I, I hope you're featured on memory tomorrow. After that. <laughs> that would be outstanding. <laughs> and let's get to it. It is time for today's buy, sell, or hold, or this week's buy, sell, or hold. Here's how it works on the show. Our producer, Aaron, is supposed to come up with these. And, you know, I can see what he did, too. He started off little by little, letting the audience pick them. Because he knew I'd like think that's a really good idea, is to involve the audience. Yeah. All right? Camel, yep. Camel's nose under the tent, sooner or later. One week I come in here about six months ago, and like the audience did every last one and he did nothing for the entire segment. At which point tomorrow, the next day, a couple of weeks, are we going to realize like you're like Bobby Bowden at the end of his career and everybody else is just And the coordinators are coaching the team yeah. and I'm, I'm coming out in a golf court <laughs> yes. the last weekend before signing days. Hey, y'all want to play at Florida State? Right. You want to know what's funny about that is I covered a game at the end of his career. He came up here and played Iowa State at, at Arrowhead. Really? Yep. And Florida State was number three, and I owned the Iowa State fan publication at the time, and I had sideline passes. This and isn't the Seneca Wallace. This is the Seneca this Wallace really? game. Oh, yeah. And and I was on their side. I spent a half on each sideline. So I wanted to be on the Iowa State sideline the second half, so I spent the first half on the Florida State sideline. And 
God bless him. And, it was, and in this game, he actually surpassed Bear Bryant's win record in this game. Okay, he didn't do a damn thing. He walked Seth up. I mean, I'm, I was 20 yards from him the whole game, whole half. He walked up. I mean, like they're making decisions of whether to go for it on fourth down or not. And he's like, "What do y'all think?" In the headset and the assistants in the, in the press box are making the call. I mean, he didn't do anything. <laughs> didn't he coach for like 10 years? 10 after more years that after that. Yeah, didn't do anything. So that might be a willing analogy. Actually, you might be on the money with that. So here's the way buy seller hold works, Aaron meaning you in the audience, throw out a series of propositions on various topics. No topic is off limits. Uh, and then Todd and I have to decide, are we going to buy that? Are we going to sell that? We have to have at least one good reason why. Once per week, we are permitted a hold and we are only allowed to invoke said hole because said proposition is so lame it is beneath the dignity of our mediocre intellect to uh, engage. Should we do it for any other reason other than that, however? We are in clear violation of the dude code for punking out, failing to take a stand, and we will be mercilessly mocked and scorned. Aaron, you're up. All right. First up, it's uh, Gender McGenderface. Uh, sometime in the next year, Jack will be accused of misgendering and or deadnaming someone on Twitter. Metaphysical certitude, bye. Bye. Yeah. Meaning that it's somewhere in the somewhere in the pantheon of his previous tweets that he pulled this or on somebody. he just somebody. does that at some point in the near future. I'm going to totally buy because you know one of the trends I see with leftists a lot? Frankenstein is leftists love to throw out like gay sex vulgarities and put downs. Have you noticed this? They do this like constantly. Okay. And I see this in like Jenna Jameson's timeline. Um, You know, they will, uh, they will, they will slut shame her constantly. And, and I'm like, Hey, you may not you're, if you may have a moral standard that doesn't approve of the way Jenna Jameson made her money, fine but i don't know why those of you who have the moral standard in favor of the way she made her money are now yeah. judging her for living out your standard you can't i mean that that doesn't you, you choose one i mean i i listen i get it you know i mean i'm I'm, I'm very conservative i live in des moines or salt lake city we have 17 kids and i'm offended that jenna jameson identifies herself as a conservative now given how she made her money i get why that person is offended i don't get why um uh, you know, you, you know why secular hedonist fourteen on Twitter is out there slut shaming Jenna Jameson. I don't get that. I don't get why so many leftists love to use gay pejoratives or vulgar vulgar references to homosexual sex acts. Uh, why they uh, uh, why they throw those around? Um, and and so likewise, I guarantee somewhere in the pantheon of the thousands of tweets he has made. Somewhere, Jack has committed the very sin they are attempting to uh, prosecute others of. Because I'm just looking at what re- my recent my history is with with these kinds of leftists. They're all over the place. I'm confident he's already been accused of such things in his own workplace. Oh sure, sure. Uh, next one. This is from Matthew Shoon. The NFL should get rid of the onside kick and replace it with a fourth and fifteen attempt from the thirty-five. Inside the two-minute warning at the end of the game, I'd be fine with that. Uh, otherwise, no. Here's what I, I'm gonna I'm gonna buy this. Because um, even though I don't prefer this as a rule change, I think we're, we're, we're going to see the kickoff go away here, like maybe even as soon as before next season, in at least college or the NFL. And the reason why, it's just the, the percentage of serious injuries that take place on the kickoff. I mean, it's way up here. And even on a punt team, because the punt team, you're all going in one direction. All right, the kickoff 
is the whole head on a swivel thing and 11 11. And, and some of the guys have got to snap the ball on the punt and they have to stay back and block. The kickoff, you've got 11 guys on each side all going down and meeting each other head on. There's just, it's disproportionate the percentage of injuries that take place on that play, serious ones, compared to any other. And so I, I think you're likely going to see an end of the kickoff. So the reason I'm going to buy this is even though I don't want the kickoff to go away because I'm a traditionalist, but I kind of understand why it's going to. You got to figure out then how are you going to replace the onside kick because you don't want to get into a situation where you take away the drama of the last minute of a game at the same time, Yeah. right? So something has to replace it. And if you look at the percentages of recovering an onside kick, it's a little less than 11% to typically. If you look at the percentages of converting fourth and 15, and I haven't done that, I just know what the percentages are on onside kick because they flash that graphic up every time you see an onside kick. It's historically a little less than 11%. If you, if, if we, I would venture a guess that your odds of converting a fourth and 15 are probably very similar to that. Maybe a little better, but it wouldn't be better than say 20%. All right. And so I think you need something in there that takes the, that keeps the drama in the game. You know, and, and, uh, in fact, and one way you do that is I wouldn't even, if you're going to go to this rule, I wouldn't even make it situational because, you know, you can kick an onside kick anytime you want. Alabama famously did it in the national championship game against Clemson a few years ago where they couldn't, they realized we aren't going to stop Deshaun Watson in this game. We just can't stop him. All right. So we're just going to not give him the ball back because <laughs> we know he's going to score on us. And so they famously kicked an onside kick, uh, to get a, to essentially trade touchdowns two for one against Clemson and Clemson never recovered from that. And they did that in the middle of the fourth quarter. So you can kick an onside kick whenever you want. Sometimes we see teams try to do it at the beginning of the game. Like Nebraska tried to do that to Ohio state about a month ago and the kid slipped and actually kicked it backwards. I would give teams the, this option throughout the game. That if you don't want to, if you don't want to, if you don't want to give away a possession after a score, you don't have to. Like you can kick an onside kick if you want, or you can go for it on. Instead of that, you can go for it on fourth and fifteen in exchange for a kickoff. I would give that certainly at the end of a game because I want the drama there because it's a spectacle still. But I would actually give teams if we're going to get rid of the kickoff altogether, which I do think is coming. If we're going to do that, then I would just make this a choice teams can make throughout the course of a game. You go for it on a fourth and 15 to retain possession, or the other team gets the ball back at the 25-yard line after your score. So just to be clear, to, because you got to play all of these things out, uh, as far as they go, even if it's ludicrous, but a team, what's the, the most? Uh, uh, Oklahoma right now. Mm-hmm. All offense, no defense. Right against a preseason little sisters of the poor, they could conceivably keep the ball the entire game using this rule. Sure. And the other team would never get it. But they wouldn't do it because your odds of converting, because here's here's the thing, and one way you avoid that is it's fourth and 15 from like the 40-yard line where you would normally kick off from. And this is why teams don't do onside kicks all Mm -hmm. the time because if I don't get it, I'm putting that team in a position where they're almost in field goal range just by recovering the kick. And that's the check and balance that you would put on it, yes. So what replaces kickoffs then? You just get the ball. Similar to how we play how we play at a playground, which is, you know, we don't do jump balls, you know? You know, you get the ball at the top of the key, you check it in, and here we go. First one to 11, win by two. I think that's, well, what, that's I, what you're going to say. It needs to be at the 15 or 20-yard line then. I, I simultaneously believe that everything you just said in no way – needs to, should, or will ruin football. But I'm going to 
sell just because get off of my lawn. Yeah. I totally respect yeah. that. I just, I know I'm not no. empowered to stop what's coming. No, and, I, you're and just. And so I, I want to negotiate the best forecast. terms of my surrender. That's what I'm out to do. Yeah, I got okay. you. weather forecast. Yeah. Uh, next one from D. Uh, just as Facebook did to MySpace, a new virtual communication promotion tool will become more popular than Twitter within three years, making Twitter a ghost town in social media. I'm going to sell. Um, not that it's impossible. But. I don't think it's as unlikely as maybe we pessimistically think. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why Jesse Kelly opened a can on Twitter this week with the help. He got by with a little help from his friends, Mr. Joe Cocker. Um, uh, but, um, I, I think that that shows a position of weakness on, on Twitter's part. Okay. I'm going to sell because I still think the odds are less likely not because there's not a market for it and that platform couldn't be developed, or you could just take the old MySpace platform and do it along those lines. Um, who's the host server for it? See, that's my worry. My worry is um, who's going to host a site of that magnitude of that bandwidth? You're going to need a GoDaddy, a, a, you know, a Google, and I'm not sure they'd be willing to do that. But I don't think it's like 90-10 against that happening. Maybe more like 70-30. I think the odds, and I wouldn't have said that 24 hours ago. I might have said 90-10 24 hours ago. But the unceremonious white flag waved by Twitter yesterday, I think speaks volumes. That maybe, and it goes to, you know, we all had a conversation about this off the air yesterday. And I think my pessimism about the state of the judiciary is, on a scale of 1 to 10, 28 28 maybe? 35? It's pretty high. Yeah. But even I told you guys off the air yesterday what? I'm pretty confident Twitter would lose because the arbitrary nature of their standards. Jesse Kelly's banned, but but I can play his videos. Gavin McGinnis is banned, but I can, I can, I can run, CRTV can run live streams of his shows. What does that make it that that's the part that a court would, they, you, a court would look at and say, you're not even serious about your own standard. You have to choose. Are you an open source platform or are you providing an editorial service? Which is it? I'm, uh, I'm 98% confident that would happen if this went into that realm. And I'm now I'm at 100% based on what Twitter did yesterday, because I, I think it's it, it is an unceremonious waving of the white flag. They know they don't have a leg to stand on with what they're doing. And right now they have the best of both worlds from a business model standpoint. They're getting the benefits of running as an open source and with, while while doing some modicum of editorializing at the exact same time. And it's very clear that they don't want to mess with that business model and they believe that business model is key to their survival because if they have to choose one, this, the, the, their market share will diminish because a group of people that will be upset at which of those they chose will look for another option elsewhere, Todd. Well, as you say that, it's remarkable what they just did is an indictment of uh, tra- traditional journalism, whether it be uh, paper, newspapers or CNN uh, who have not ultimately ever made the correction that at Twitter just made. And I'll believe it when I see it, if Twitter is permanently uh, corrected itself. But I, I don't think anything's going to happen in the next three years because I, I just don't think there's going to be enough people who will vote with their feet permanently by leaving this thing behind. I was talking to a uh, a friend of mine who's got daughters who are a little older than mine. And Steve, maybe you've experienced this with your own daughter with social media, but how they've moved beyond 
they don't like they don't care about Facebook anymore. They're yeah. on Instagram, Instagram or something else. What so they're on. I think that need, yep. people need to start showing their move beyond. Yeah, it. My, my my daughter uses Facebook when she has to. My oldest, otherwise, it's Instagram and Snapchat for her constantly. Yeah, we'll come back more of your buy seller hold live on the Blaze on demand at CRTV next. Stay tuned. So I brought this up earlier in the show. I want to remind you again, protect that asset you have called your own home. Uh, it's probably the most valuable asset the vast majority of us are going to own throughout the course of our lives as Americans. And that equity is a target right now by fraudsters that are engaging in what's called home title fraud. And this is where they forge your signature. They go online and basically just hijack the deed to your home. They couldn't do this years ago because they had to go down to the recorder's office, show ID, comb through mountains of records. But now with all this stuff digitized, you're much more vulnerable because your deed is much more accessible. That's why you want to take a look at Home Title Lock. Right now, they're giving our viewers and listeners here on The Blaze, CRTV, and on the podcast a free title report and scan. That's normally a $100 value. They're giving it to you for free right now to check out and find out if your home title is vulnerable, if anybody's done anything uh, to step on it or step to it. So hometitlelock.com is the website. Get that free report and scan. Protect that asset for just pennies a day. That's all it will cost you to protect that equity in your home, your most valuable asset hometitlelock.com. All right, let's get back to it here. We're playing Buy, seller Hold live on The Blaze on demand at CRTV. Aaron, you may continue. All right, your tribalism sucks, says Afghanistan will still be a topic in the 2024 presidential election cycle. <sighs> Todd, you go first this time. Buy. No, no reason to believe... Uh, based on how uh, – okay, 16 years uh, that regardless of the um, Democrat or Republican office holder uh, in the White House or who controls Congress, that there's a sense of uh, what to do other than just keep the – and I use the term loosely, but there's this – you know, it's on it, it, it's on cruise control kind of. It, it just like somebody clicked it in and said uh short of and there's a lot of wrong things you could do to correct this wrong as well i don't want to be that uh cavalier about that about just pulling out uh, you know it would be nice to have a plan and right now we're a bunch of people who are uh, mimicking the joker do i look like a guy with a plan nobody has one um, and I don't expect there will be because it's going to take a level of adulting in terms of sitting down with the American people that I think everybody thinks is that's too political costly. So I'm not going to address reality. I'm glad I asked you to go first. Cause it gave me some time because I knew that I was pretty, well, I didn't know I'm not a, you know, I'm not a mind reader, but I was pretty confident your answer was going to be something along those lines because it's probably the right and obvious answer. I mean, we have we have reached a point. If you would have told me when we invaded Afghanistan, I was sitting on my in-laws couch. They had not yet moved to Michigan. Amy's parents. Uh, we had gone for a fall visit uh, when Anna was a baby and we're in the middle of watching Michigan play Penn State and they break in with the live feed of the invasion of Afghanistan. And, you know, my father-in-law was 101st Airborne retired. And so, you know, we sat there and watched that together. If, if you would have told me that the day would come, 
you if you could go back to Steve in 2001 and that October day and said, hey, the day is going to come where you are going to agree with arguably the most leftist U.S. senator that it is time to get the hell out of here. <laughs> I would have said there's no chance of that happening. But this thing is deteriorated to the point that, yes, Elizabeth Warren right now is my spirit animal for what she said about this yesterday. Here's why I'm going to sell. And it's not just to play the other side. And, and I still think you're probably going to be right. But I actually think if we get out of there, it won't be for having an adult conversation. It'll be for a, the exact opposite. Because you have a personality in the White House that is the most openly driven by, I don't know that you, it's possible to, to reach that level of power and not have a healthy ego. But you're talking about an id in motion. And if you're sitting there and you're down by seven or eight points in the polls, you know, in October um, or next year and you're facing an impeachment, you know, we watched Bill Clinton bomb, who's kind of a baby narcissist compared to the stick that Trump's swinging. Okay. I mean, you and I watched, you know, Bill Clinton bomb an aspirin factory to respond to the Ken Starr report. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine what, what Donald Trump might do? in order to change the subject from um, whatever ultimately Michael Cohen tells the U.S. Attorney's Office next year in the Southern District of New York. or You got any more of those Moabs? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I could foresee a scenario. Right? I, if, we had a gener- if we had a generic president of either party, you'd be 100% right. 100% right. And even given the kind of president we have now, you're still probably right. Because we've seen him buckle to the generals every time this question's come up, right? He gives out the rhetoric, we got to get out of there, and then the generals uh, say we can't go, and then he does what they tell him to do. But I could foresee a Donald Trump with his back against the wall looking for easy winning issues. And this would be one. And I, I, and I could see him pulling the plug right there because it's in his self-interest to do so. I agree if he actually does come to think that that would put his back against the wall. I just don't know if he does. And he may not, but I think that's the, but I will say this, I think that's the only way we're out by then. I think that's the only way. It's something like that. I, got I think it's the only way. Yeah. All right. Uh, Nick says, most progressives, if given the opportunity, couldn't go full Thanos. It is an ideology of decadence that wilts in the face of harsh reality, selling on all of that. Um, I will buy, actually, because here's why. We see them over and over again, not willing to live by their own standards. They love imposing their standards on everybody else. I mean, how many progressives went into the movie theaters this summer and cheered for the Avengers to stop Thanos? How many of them cried when their favorite Avengers were whisked away? How many? Now, when, you know, we came in here the Monday after the movie came out, we weren't on the blaze yet, obviously. That deal wasn't even being discussed then. But we came in here on CRTV and, and on the podcast the Monday after the movie came out. And what did we do? I mean, I wrote a column at the time. Malthusian? Who, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who said this? Margaret Sanger or yeah. Thanos? Because they were the same. I mean, this was Malthusian ethics, as Aaron just referenced, in motion. There were now a couple of progressives that have come out and realized, oh, man, we're owning ourselves right now. Thanos was right. Thanos was right. We have, there has been some of that. Yeah. But has there been this overwhelming cacophony of embracing? Has Thanos become some kind of cult hero? Now, maybe they'll do that in the sequel next summer. I don't know, but we, we don't know that future. Based on the story as it was told right now, we haven't seen Thanos become an icon of the leftists because 
It's always socialism for thee and not for me. It's always tolerance for me and not for thee. Because they don't believe the stuff they claim to believe. What they believe in is control. See, that's why, that's why I'm selling on all of this, though. Uh, because, they're, they're because, not giving up their. They're, because, you're giving up your hedonism. Yeah, they're not giving up theirs. Right. Well, I mean, that's I've ne- couldn't go full Thanos ideology of deck. No, that's an ideology of power. Th- Thanos, which is why I think they could. Than, this is why Thanos was true Malthus- Malthusian ethics. Mal- Thomas Malthus was a true believer in this. He believed he was on a. He was merciful, and you hear Thanos say things like, "We're not going to distinguish between class, race." Right? Didn't you hear them? We're mm-hmm. just gonna we're gonna make it as egalitarian as possible. They don't be- ask Megan Murphy if they believe in egalitarianism. <laughs> ask her. She does. And 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 where are all the feminists standing up for one of their own saying, bring do you see do you see leftist feminists rattling to Megan Murphy the way the entire right I mean the I never thought I was gonna see a weaker endorsement in my life than the one Mike Pence gave us in Indiana when I was on the cruise campaign where he went on a radio show for an hour, spent 45 minutes talking about how much he loved Donald Trump, and then said, oh, I'm going to be out there campaigning with Ted Cruz for the next few days. So thanks, guys. Weakest endorsement I've ever seen until I saw the endorsement Ben Sass gave Jesse Kelly yesterday. I can't stand him. He hates my guts. I think he's a terrible human being. But, <laughs> okay, this is wrong. All right, the entire right came to Jesse Kelly's aid. Where are all the egalitarian feminists defending Megan Murphy today? Oh, I think this is dead on the money. They believe it until they get power over you, and then they don't believe it anymore. This is an, this animal farm. It's why I, it's why for for years in my life I used to read it once a year, because other than the Bible, I believe it's the most prophetic work I've ever encountered. Four legs good, two legs bad will always eventually become four legs are good and two legs are better every time. Every time. This is brilliant. Who was that again? Who sent this? Uh, Nick. Nick. Yeah. He's got another one, brilliant one coming up right after Nick, this. Nick Stud, 100% right on the money. Yeah, I will uh, also uh, buy. They're not, uh, they can't accept the fact that the unwoke uh, next to them has equal odds of surviving as them when they're woke. That just will not. No, they, I mean, they, they they are their own idol. You do not, yes. you do not destroy yourself. Yes, so they woke, need the mean, woke doesn't mean I'm aware of injustices. Woke means you agree with me. Yeah, that's what it means. Yeah, another brilliant one. After peanut butter, mint is the best pairing with chocolate. I'm selling this one too, Nick. I'm sorry. How about caramel? Caramel, caramel and chocolate. Nick, caramel I gotta, Nick, I gotta ask, and and don't read anything tawdry into it, but. Uh, are you single? Just what are you doing this weekend? Insightful has the hey, right Todd has the right hey, food combinations. I don't know. Aren't, aren't you still the editor of this show? <laughs> I don't know. Just I'm just saying. It's moment to moment. I'd like to edit that out of my brain. That's uh, whew, it's getting a little warm in here. Nick's on fire right now. I'm all in on Nick. Nixon, so it's on fire right it, now. It's definitively mint over. Is it caramel or caramel? What are we going with? Like, well, it's uh, Wednesday and the full moon is, in, and then I slaughtered it, a goat last night. So it's caramel. Is that? Yeah. But is that what you're saying? I, it, listen, I love that's a strong number three. Okay, like George Harrison is a strong number three, but it ain't John or Paul. Okay, he's exactly right. Mm, I'm with Aaron, uh, but it's definitely uh, like my wife I would be with you, mint. Yeah, but I'm 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 caramel or caramel. Or yeah, whatever. I, I mean I. I 
Have you ever had what are the caramellos? Oh. That's 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 for you, Nick. Right that's there, brother. Good stuff. That's yeah. for you. I'm yeah. feeling Nick. Uh, ordinary Steve. Make, make Nick a regular. Yeah, make Nick great again. Yeah. Um, ordinary Steve says, uh, when the Summer Olympics return to Los Angeles in 2028, the honor of lighting the to- torch will go to, Br- I mean, Caitlyn Jenner. <sighs> bye. I'm going to sell. Bye, bye, bye. Oh. Bye. I think you got to buy. Yeah. 2028 is a long time from now. Well, it might be that lizard lady then. 2028. Actually, by then it'll be. If I'd have gone back, no, he'll and, be it, he'll it, be identifying as uh, Bruce, let's, Bruce Jenner again. I, I'm I'm trying to say this in a way that if I went back in 2008 and I showed you pictures of what Bruce Jenner was going to become in 2008, would you have believed me? No. No. I I think. Uh, I think 2028 is a long way away when you got the issues that 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 man does. I'll just leave it at that. So that's what I'm going to sell. All right. uh, Moving on. The Prince of Elliot Evans says the Prince of Light, John Kasich, is not what America (laughs) wants, not what America needs, but what America deserves. No, I'm gonna sell. I mean, I'm 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 down on our cultural decline, but it's, nobody deserves. Yeah, Tom that's Kasich. we're, we're we, sorry, yeah. Ohio. I, I, in the end, mercy triumphs over judgment, guys. In the end, <laughs> I I can't do that to us. No, sell. I, well, I'm selling, but I, it, it might be what America wants. It, it. There's this great. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna win as many states in the Republican primary as John Kasich well, will. I promise. Listen, I don't mean it, here it, when um it was two. 2008, leading up to 2008. And I was still at the Des Moines Register. Uh, and one of the uh, columnists that Steve and I both know well and both like, Mark Hansen, uh, he, he wrote a column about how uh, the face that is put on certain issues doesn't necessarily match up with what people want. Because in a blind taste test, when everybody was still in the pool, Kasich was involved. It was John Edwards. It was Hillary Clinton. It was Barack Obama and mm-hmm. whoever else. I don't remember. Maybe you mm-hmm. do, Steve. But in a blind taste test among Democrats, they chose Kasich. But then you put his face on it and the fact that he and his girlfriend believed in aliens and it was getting a little too Dennis weird. Dennis Kucinich, you mean, not Kasich. Oh, Kucinich. No, Kasich, yeah, but Kucinich was in the pool. But yeah. they liked— He was the one from, with the hot girlfriend so, half his age that believed in aliens. Yes. Yeah. So now go to Kasich. Uh, it, a lot of that crap is what people may actually want. And But Kasich, but the mailman stuff and packaging and whatever might be too insufferable. All I'm saying is more people want that nonsense um, than I think we'd care, any of us care to admit. Here's the thing. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I know one person who voted for John Kasich. People don't vote for algorithms, constructs, amalgamations. Uh, but- so if you just handed them his mealy mouth... I take no position on any defining issue position and say, wouldn't you love a politician like that? And my dad oh, was yeah. a mailman. Yeah, yeah. But the problem is they're not voting for mealy mouth positions okay. isn't on the ballot. All John my Kasich point is, is, is before you get to uppity and uh, say John Kasich isn't your cup of tea, um, you might want to look in the mirror a little bit because you might just be him with a different skin suit on. And I'm, and I'm confident that if he primaries Trump, you will win more states than he will. I'm confident. Senor Tosino says the Big Ten will have nine teams in the NCAA tournament. Right now, I'll, I'll buy that. I, I think that's quite possible. 
Because here's the thing, the league already has five wins over ranked teams in the non-conference. I mean, Penn State got one last night. Yeah. So I, I, you're, you're going to play 20 conference games, and yes, that means they're going to beat each other up, but it also means their strength of schedule profiles are all going to be very high. So you start counting them up. I think teams we think will definitely be there. Michigan, Michigan State, State, Michigan. Michigan um, Purdue, are we sure about that? I don't think Purdue is a definite that they'd be there. Oh, okay. All right. Um, uh, I, and then group teams we're confident that will be there. You can put Purdue in there if you want. Yeah, Purdue. Um, and not Indiana yet. Would you not Indiana yet? So we have three. I think Wisconsin. I'm confident. Yeah. They're not. Wisconsin's going to have to bomb in the in the conference yep. turn, season with the with the profile they have now. So we have Michigan, Michigan State, Wisconsin, Purdue. That's four. Um, who are we forgetting? Uh, let's see who else is Ohio State. Ohio they're State. number one in those rankings yeah. right now. Iowa. Iowa. So there's six. Um, Indiana, I still think, has too much talent and will eventually... I'm going to sell. We're already having a hard time getting to nine. That's seven. Yeah. Who, I, who are we... Then Does he's, Maryland have any? Maryland's very yeah. high in those net rankings yeah. right now. That's eight. Yeah. Um, and then, and then Penn yeah, State, if they... If yeah, they Penn keep, State with a high-quality non-conference yeah. win. I think that's very possible. I'm going to buy. I think yeah. it's possible. I'll sell. All right, uh, moving on. I like this one. The Muppets Christmas Carol. This is from Tony Mer- Mercer. The Muppets Christmas Carol is the best version of a Christmas Carol. Buy, sell, buy, sell. And you buy. you agree with the only man in Iowa that voted for John Kasich on this? That's Mike Woody's take. Sell, sell. You know what the best one is? You guys the Muppets. are gonna, you guys are. Gonna, <laughs> you know what is the best one, and you're gonna hate me for this. Was the animated one that Jim Carrey started a few years ago? Oh, that one ago. was really good. That too. And it's yeah. also the Is most really? faithful to the book, huh. and it's yep. incredible. I've never yep. seen the animation's it. incredible. Really? It's the most faithful to the actual story. Highly, highly, <laughs> highly recommend. It's insanely well done. I'm not anointing this as the best one, and I haven't seen some of the classic versions. But do you like Scrooged? I haven't seen it in so long. That's the Bill Murray one. Oh yeah, it's. I haven't seen it in so long. I don't know if I can remember much oh, of it anymore. It's, it's and every so Christmas, and every Christmas, I'm like, you know what? I haven't seen this in like 20 years. I need to watch, and then I never do. It's excellent. You know, you know another. Um, uh, there's a uh, the the movie that came out last Christmas, the man who invented Christmas, uh, about how you know this story around how Dickens created a Christmas Carol. I would hi- that movie's out there on demand hmm. right now. I would highly recommend that as well. That that movie, I thought it was one of the better movies I saw last year. Yeah, we we got it uh, for family movie night in July when it came out on demand. And every last one of us loved it. It's really well done. Because, you know, they're doing a lot of these now. The story around the, you know, the, the and Peter Pan and Mil, or and uh, and, and uh, the uh, Winnie the Pooh and all that kind of stuff. They're, they're making some of these movies in the last few years that are pretty good. But the one, The Man Who Invented Christmas, Hidden Gem, not many people have seen it. I can't remember the name of the actor who plays Dickens in the film. But it's really well done. I'd highly hmm. recommend it. I, I promise both of you would love it. I promise. But the Jim Carrey version of A Christmas Carol, in my view, is the best one. Speak, speaking of movies, this is a tangent, but did you see that in like Vegas odds, top five odds to win the Oscar is Black Panther? No, it's not going to win. It's not that good. I mean, it, what about it, it, well, the let me best, say this. It's good. Best popular film or whatever. No, this is best picture. New, best picture. Yeah, they didn't do that category. They're not doing it now. Yeah, they, they, oh, they really? did col- pull completely back from yeah, that. Yeah, they, they've tabled good. it now for yeah. at least a year. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, for example, what was the movie I loved last year um, that was about white uh, progressives? Uh, Get Out. Black Panther's nowhere near as good See, the as fact Get that they pulled that category win. makes me think all the more they might be serious to try to stuff that anointing by putting it in that category. Let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. Back again tomorrow. Until then, John 317.
This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network. 